Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, featuring today's top directors sharing behind-the-scenes stories of their latest films and insights into the craft of directing. Please take a second to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And check out the DGA website at dga.org to watch or listen to hours of content, such as past episodes of The Director's Cut, videos of the Guild's 75th anniversary celebration, and long-form interviews from our visual history program. You can access it all for free by going to the website and hovering over the Craft tab. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Shauna Festi's new comedic drama, Boundaries. The film tells the story of Laura, a single mother who always puts the needs of others before her own. When her pot-dealing, carefree father, Jack, is kicked out of yet another nursing home, Laura agrees to drive him to Los Angeles to live with her sister, Jojo. When Jack convinces Laura's awkward 14-year-old son to help sell off a supply of marijuana at every stop of their journey, it causes complications that threaten to upend Laura's attempts to hold her family together. In addition to Boundaries, Ms. Festi's credits include the feature films Endless Love, Country Strong, and The Greatest, and the video short Tim McGraw and Gwyneth Paltrow, Me and Tennessee. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Ms. Festi spoke with director Jake Kasdan about filming Boundaries. During their discussion, Ms. Festi talks about investigating her relationship with parenting for the film, how scouting was a crucial component to designing the look of the film, and why she describes the experience of watching the film like seeing a journal entry on the big screen. Hello. All right. Hi, Jay. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Thanks for sticking around to talk to Shauna about this movie, which... Uh, we're uh, good friends in, in real life and non-professional life, but this is the first time I've seen this movie and I just loved it so much. So um, one more big round of applause quickly for Shauna. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It turned out so great, I think. I just loved it. Thank you. Yeah. So... Um, a lot of stuff I'm going to ask you about, but um, we can start maybe quickly... So, this movie, yes. very, very different than any other movie you've made in a lot of ways, I think. But, um, I'll let you uh, talk about that a little bit, but can you go back to, this is a script that you wrote in a movie you directed. Can you go back to sort of the moment where you decided to do this, to tell this story, and what was sort of going on with you right then? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, the absolute most honest answer I could say is um, when I had my first son, Waylon, who's now um, almost five, um, when I had him, there was a part of me looking at him and when I was raising him, still am, um, I couldn't imagine a world where I would want to be apart. I couldn't imagine ever leaving him or leaving for three months. And, you know, my dad was in and out of my life. He was in prison. He was going to Africa to dig for diamonds in Liberia and smuggling them back in the brim of his cowboy hat. He was stealing a gold bell out of a church in Mexico. He was beating casinos. You know, all of these things he was, he was gone for. 
And I was, you know, with my mom. I was raised by my mom in Los Angeles. And when I had my son, I thought, man, how did my dad, why did my dad want to be away from me like this? Yeah. And that made me really try to investigate our relationship and get in touch with some of the anger that I had over that. Because I think when you have, he's, my dad is so charming. He's been married six times, six kids, animals, women, kids love him. And um, when he came into my life, it was amazing. And it was, you know, so much fun. And we'd buy hundreds of scratcher lotto tickets and order everything off the menu when we went to Chinese restaurants. And I could never really say how sad I was that he would leave constantly because I didn't want him to leave again. I wanted him to stay. And so um, I, I was, I had a lot of anger. And I think having Waylon and having my kids made me realize that, um, man, I got the shaft in the parent department a little bit. And I wanted to, um, I wanted to investigate that. Yeah. And you really did. And, but I think you did it in a way that is so sort of, um, one of the things I love about the movie is it's so sort of generous with everybody's perspective. And so as you were sort of going through that investigation, the way that you wrote these characters and then the way that you got the the way you cast the movie and the way that the actors then perform the characters it's like incredibly sort of uh loving of everyone even if it's um really kind of taking everybody to task and i think quite equally and even handedly for you know um for their their foibles and it um was that sort of an evolution? Was that a, a, did you find yourself sort of working that out as you were writing it? Or was it something that continued to develop as you were making the movie? Well, I think so many of these characters, it's just them. You know, I think a lot of people think, oh my God, you're, that Jojo is so over the top. But my sister has a framed picture of a mama dog crossing the stream with her baby dog in her mouth, like in her living room. That is so my sister. And um, I, ha I love my family. I have so much love for them. And I, I wanted to make a movie about seeing your parent for who they really are. And that comes with forgiveness. And I was lucky enough to have my father move in with me for the last three years of his life. And I saw him be the parent to Waylon that he wasn't to me. And that was something that was really cool to see. And, and I obviously, I wrote about that aspect as well. And the... Writing of it, because it's so personal, did that make it easier or more complicated as a sort of writing endeavor? Well, probably the, it was hard just because I'm the worst character. So Vera is <laughs> me, and I'm this just like, I don't know. Maybe she's not the worst character, but I feel like character. she probably is. I mean, everybody's like, she's so over the top. And I'm like, oh, my God. I do have that many animals, and I have <laughs> rescued those guys. Um, so, yeah, being close to the material is tough, and at times it was quite emotional because you also get to, and I don't know if you do this in your writing, but you get to write scenes that didn't happen in your life. Yeah. Like, I, you know, the scene where Vera confronts her father and says, I spent my entire childhood scared. Well, that's, that's how I spent my childhood, and I never got to say that to my dad, and my dad never got to say, I'm sorry you were scared. So I think that's something that's kind of therapeutic about the process. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I really did want to make something hopeful. I just feel yeah. like, you know, with all this in the world right now, it would be nice to have some hope, and I, I wanted to, to concentrate on that. Yeah, and it's 
and how long, when was that that you, it was, you said it was when Waylon was born, so that was, yeah, a, yeah so. Almost five years five ago. Five years ago. Yeah, yeah. And the writing of it, how long did that take? The writing of it, um, pretty short. It was pretty easy for me to write this. Um, so probably I wrote it in a few months. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, casting was difficult. Um, my father had, he was alive when I was casting it, so he had a lot of opinions about who should play him. <laughs> who did he want? He wanted Jeff Bridges. No, he wanted Willie Nelson. <laughs> my, he used to always get mistaken for Willie Nelson, so. So he, he was would, right in the conversations as yeah, this was developing. Yeah, I never gave him the script to read, though. I was a little scared. I don't know why. I just still, like, I guess the little girl in me was still scared to give it to him. Uh -huh. um, but he knew I was making this. And and he's in the film. Yeah. Um, he's he's in the drug deal. He he um, Christopher Plummer buys weed from him. And, I mean, he buys weed from Christopher Plummer. <laughs> and he was so funny on that day because I had to direct him. And, you know, one of my earliest, well, not earliest, but when I was a teenager, I remember going to the beach one day and I saw my dad in one of those reflective vests and he was on parole, and he was doing, you know, um, community service, and he was picking up trash at the beach, and I saw him with my girlfriends. I, Anara might have been with me, actually, Anara is Jake's wife. Um, and so I put him back in that vest, you know, to just have some fun. And he looked at the vest and just was like, what are you, Shauna, the vest would never be this clean. I, the state doesn't have vests this clean, you gotta dirty this up. And then I'm, so we got the production designer, he was dirtying the vest up, and then I said, okay, Papa, you know, you're buying some weed and it's, you're at the beach, so maybe would you kind of look over your shoulder? Are you a little nervous? Or I don't know how this works, you know? He's like, why are you, oh, I wouldn't be nervous. I would just smoke the joint right there. He was just so disappointed that I actually thought that he should look over his shoulder. You had all and, these and misconceptions yeah. about what that would look like. Yeah. <laughs> I was making him very scared to buy drugs and he clearly had no fear about it, so. <laughs> And did you know at the point where you had this script that this would be a movie that you were going to try to make um, independently? Was there a, you, you were approaching it that way from the beginning? Yeah, because I really wanted my husband to produce it. My husband is, a, you know, he produces a lot of indies. And um, I knew I could trust my husband. You know, I knew implicitly that he would fight for everything in this movie. Yeah. And I think it's really hard to get movies like this made right now. Boy, I mean, yeah. it's... At the end of the day, it's a kind of character-driven drama. I mean, I just, they, they're really hard to get made. Yeah, really. It, I mean, it's the kind of movie that's, you know, in danger of uh, extinction a little bit. And um, it's just incredibly crucial that people keep making them and making them about really personal mm -hmm. things. And, uh, you know, this movie does such a great job of getting really detailed about something you know so well and that's so close to you and then hitting this like much bigger, uh, you know, set of themes that are incredibly relatable, I think. Does it, um, you had come out of two studio movies right before that, right? Yeah. Um, and then your first movie had also been an independent yeah. movie. Yeah, And can you characterize what that difference has been like for you? I know it's different for everybody. Yeah, for me, it was it's a world of difference. I had two kind of cliche studio experiences. You know, just the first, I, I made a country strong with Clint Culpepper at um, Screen Gems, and that was 
really horrifying. Thing, yeah, yeah, it was it was really hard, really hard experience. <laughs> yeah. And and then Endless Love, I had I think nine producers. So it was just right. they were all lovely producers on their own, but there were just there was too many of us. It was kind of like filmmaking by committee. Right. And so this film was the first that I oh well and the greatest as well. But I really I got to cast whoever I wanted. No one rewrote me. Um, it was hard. We shot like ten pages a day with you know, a minor with animals, with Christopher Plummer, who was actually so incredibly amazing and never missed a single line, um, and an old Rolls Royce that, you know, broke down constantly. We had two of them. Um, so I, I literally did everything you should not do when you're making an indie film, but, and like 50 locations, you know? Actually 10 pages a day? Yeah, we were shooting. I mean, I overwrote that script, I guess, now. So how many days was it, the shoot? 22. Wow, you got a lot of movie made in that yeah. time. And the driving is all... We did one day down the coast with just no actors, just the car. My dog Loretta is in the movie. I usually bring her to Q&A. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and Loretta, she was in the car. Yeah, She was great. Thank you. <laughs> and the, um, the driving was all real uh, process trailer? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so go back to the casting a little bit. So how did you... Um, what was that process like? Did you start with Vera? We started with Christopher, actually. And and then once we got Chris, it just, everybody, it was like a magnet. You know, everybody wanted to work with him. It was so yeah. easy to cast the rest of the film. Yeah. And so he was the first in, and then you, what was that like, getting to talk to, sort of starting that I process remember, with like, him? I remember exactly where I was when I had my first conversation with him. I was in the alley. I had just dropped my kids off at school, and I was in the alley talking to him, and I just, it was one of those moments where you're like, am I, how do I sound smart? Like, how do I convince this man? How do, yeah, I was just so overwhelmingly nervous and scared to talk to him and incredibly nervous to even direct him because you're thinking like what can I add possibly to what you're doing you know I, I will never forget the camera test we did with him it was my first day of actually meeting him on per in person we had gone to dinner uh, a few nights before and um, I said Chris would you mind we're just going to test this lens because we were using these old anamorphic lenses and I said just um, if you could walk from here to there and my DP and I, Sarah, we just were watching, and he started walking across the you know, the room, and we just like were leaning in, like, oh my God, it was just he just sticks to the screen in such an amazing way. He was doing absolutely nothing, and we couldn't take our eyes off of him. Yeah, and that was one of those moments where I looked at Sarah, and we were just like giddy with excitement, like we get to work with him. This is so amazing. Yeah, like when great actors just start. Doing it, it's yeah, incredible. It's, a, it's like effortless. It is so effortless. Yeah. yeah. And what was um, what was that like over the course of the movie with him in terms of uh, process with him? Because if you're doing that kind of page count, you're doing yeah. the major, huge amounts of dialogue every day. Yeah, yeah. So they're they got to come to play, I guess, yeah. all of them. Oh yeah, I mean, and and Chris more than anyone, you know, I, he has like this theater brain because he's so trained, and he never missed a single line. Um, so you know, the page count was actually it was it was easier to do because all of our actors were so prepared. Um, it was just hard with all the animals because, you know, in this film. I think I'm asking the hardest thing for animals to do, which is to do nothing and be naturalistic, you know? So all of the animals, when we were first auditioning animals, could 
you know, do cartwheels and whatever, you know, do all these dog tricks. And those are not the animals that I was interested in because they were all purebreds and perfect. And I wanted like the scrappy, unadoptable ones. And so much of our time was actually spent waiting for animals to fall asleep on a bed <laughs> that I mean, we would waste just hours. Everybody would have to be incredibly quiet. No one could talk on set. We would put the animals on the bed. We would all just hold still and not move or like look down. And then slowly, one by one, they would drop. And then we'd call action and put the, the actors in and, and we would maybe get one take, you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> it's such a... I mean that it's so stressful even to think about honestly. <laughs> but they, so because it's such a kind of like constant texture through the movie. I yeah. mean the feeling is that they're in every shot practically. We tried to put an animal in every shot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But you, it means you're just like dealing with it every second, and it is completely invisible in the movie. And that that part of it, the like That's the work it. of it, it just seems yeah. totally organic. Is there? So does that mean there's like trainers? Right there, off well, frame see, all the yes, time? Yes, you're in the car. We had a trainer on everybody's feet. There was a trainer just like crumpled up in this little tiny ball. So every car scene, there's three animal trainers in the car with them. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> in this hot, non-air-conditioned car with Christopher Plummer, Vera, five dogs, and Lewis in the back. Doing multiple performances per yeah. run kind of thing oh yeah me just barking into that horrible microphone you know and just yeah how many of the days were in in the car i think we had probably five days in the car so a full week in the car yeah 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 that you did consecutively yeah so it was a nightmare that's <laughs> the worst. brutal yeah <laughs> and how about lewis he's yeah. great where how did where did he He's Scottish, um, and he had done a Monster Calls, right. which I had never seen. I, it hadn't come out then, so I hadn't seen it. So I actually auditioned him just through tape. He had sent a tape over. I watched it and fell in love with him. And, um, you know, my husband was like, come on, we have to get a visa. He's Scottish. We can't even afford a <laughs> dialect coach. Like, there are hundreds of lovely American boys to, ca yeah. to cast. But... Um, <laughs> I really fell for Lewis. I mean, he had suffered a lot of his own kind of trauma in his life, and I could just see it behind his eyes. He's so sensitive and empathetic. So the first time I met him in person was when he came for rehearsals. Wow. Yeah. And then was just right in it for, I mean... Yeah. In every scene, really. In every scene. And I think the animals helped him a lot, actually, because we always put an animal in his hand. Yeah. And that really, it just took his focus away from what he was doing. It really calmed him. And he loves dogs. So he was so happy. God, we got lucky. He was so happy in that back seat with all those dogs. Yeah. <laughs> and he's an actual child, right? Yes. He was 13. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, that so was, that's yeah, another huge another eight so hour, lose him. Yeah. And, yeah, losing yeah, losing yeah. him, we lose the animals because they could only work a certain amount of time. Yeah. Where did you shoot it? We shot in Vancouver. The, the whole thing, though? The whole thing. We did one day in L.A. at the very end, kind of pickup right. day, and then we did a drive down the coast, which took about two days. Right. And how did you like working there? Vancouver? Um, it was. There's a lot of people shooting in Vancouver, right? Yeah. So, you know... It was hard location-wise because it's a lovely place, but your location scout is taking you out and going, you're going to absolutely love this school. You're going to love it. It's perfect. It's perfect. We shot 
Airbud one, two, three, four, and five here. <laughs> and these five Hallmark movies. And everybody loved shooting there. Yeah. And you're like, oh man, I just we had to comb Vancouver for places you hadn't seen before. Yeah. It sometimes seems like there's so many companies in some of these places that you wonder why they're not just like bumping into each other. All oh the time. yeah, we would see them as Sharing we were driving parking the lots. Yeah. With, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you say it was. You said it was 22 days. Yeah. So you were there for a couple of months before that. And a couple then, months. Yeah, brought the whole family. And let's talk a little bit about your team that you put together to make this with you, because a yeah. lot of them were new to you. Yeah. Right. You'd never worked with I never worked with Sarah, any of them. the DP, mm-hmm. uh, who did great work. Yeah. How did you guys connect? Well, we she went to AFI. She was there a year before I was, um, and you know it was an extra bonus if we could hire a Canadian DP, but that wasn't something that I it was a mandate. Um, mm-hmm. And I just saw Sarah's work and her framing, and I got really excited. I really wanted to work with a woman, mm-hmm. um, and I think I had. I've offered every single movie to your favorite DP. What? A- Uta. Uta, yeah. Breeze yeah. yeah. And she's she's not really doing it anymore. She's a director. She's yeah. a she's an episodic director. Which I made a couple of movies with her, but yeah. Because it's hard. As much as you really want a female crew, it's they're really hard to find. Really, really hard. hard to yeah. find. It's the the way that this has carried out over time is that it's there's just fewer people and increasingly mm-hmm. great that there are more and more people actually actively seeking out great people. Yeah. Um, so Sara was totally new and we, we had a great time. It was a totally different energy. It was, it was really, it was awesome. Yeah. And was she sort of helping you? Was she there through most of the prep and figuring it out with you? Were you laying oh, out? Yeah, a- she was there. Yeah. And, um, yeah, she was right by my side and we did a lot of, um, a lot of work before the film shot, just when she was actually in Toronto, just going back and forth with photography and inspiration. And it was really important to me, you know, it, uh, Jack is a character that's easy to judge. A lot of people judge my own father. My father doesn't look great on paper. Um, but when you meet him, he's, you know, just very warm, and his humor is infectious. And so lighting-wise, we really thought that was important. I mean, it's one of the reasons he drives a gold Rolls-Royce. We wanted the warmth to kind of follow him. Yeah. Um, so whenever he comes on screen, the atmosphere is usually really warm. The color palette is always warm. Yeah. Yeah, it's great looking. And also heavily scouted it feels like a movie where you would have spent a lot of time in a van looking for places kind of because um and like that's probably a big part of the production designer's job on this movie oh for sure i mean you know i think whenever i i teach at afi occasionally and whenever i'm um talking to young directors and they're shooting in white boxes like someone's apartment building with four white walls you're like oh man you're just making it so much harder on yourself Mm -hmm. just find that location with the interesting architecture and some deep space because you're so trapped I think scouting even though it's so hard in that van is so important to the overall look of your film right yeah yeah absolutely and the it was cut down here right yeah you you cut the whole thing here Mm -hmm. at home Mm mm-hmm and what was that post period like? How did that? Well, I've never done a comedy before. Yeah. Um, so a lot of it was wondering if anything was funny at all. Yeah. And, and also the timing of comedy, t- totally different than 
the timing of all my dramas that I usually do. So that was a, a really interesting lesson for me. Um, and you know, you don't have the ability to kind of screen the movie over and over again because it's such a short period. So I, we didn't really have a lot of time to test the laughs. Um, so I think there's actually a lot of moments in the movie that get laughs that are just cut so tightly that we didn't even know they would ever get a laugh. And we probably cut them too tightly, so. Yeah, you're usually better off to do that than to open <laughs> yeah. it up for a laugh. I'd like a five second pause. Because <laughs> then for a when laugh. you put in the pause, then you watch it on TV someday and it's yeah. like someone says something and then you like cut to a shot of someone looking at a lamp <laughs> waiting for the laugh to end. <laughs> that doesn't work. No, it's embarrassing. I've done. <laughs> um, and you cut it with. Uh, it looks like there were a couple people worked on it over the course of it. Yeah, yeah. We were, you know, we lost a lot of people to, well, the first uh, editor that we worked with, we were on two different pages, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but then I hired a French woman named Marie, and she came from Denmark, and she was living in Denmark, and she barely spoke English, and she was absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And what was the... So that was a relatively compact post period, yeah. probably, and yeah. then you started into the sort of like a festival world, kind of. With yeah, it. we well, we showed it early to Sony Classics, and they saw it, they were the first people to see it, and they bought it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so lucky. Yeah, because Sony had been somewhat a different part of Sony had been we had one made of the, the film with Sony Worldwide, so they financed it, and mm -hmm. um, and you know I think. You know, Tom and uh, Michael Barker had called about it a few times just because the cast is really interesting and a great classics cast. Yeah. So they had called and asked to see it. And then when we finally did, you know, when the film was finished, we showed it to them. And and it actually they waited quite a bit to put it out, which I was kind of bummed about because I really want your movie out in the world. But then Christopher Plummer got nominated for an Oscar and all this wonderful things happened with him. And so it felt actually great. Yeah, the timing great. actually worked out. That's great. And so by the time you were taking it out to festivals a little bit and starting to show it around, you sort of knew where it was exactly. going to be, yeah. Yeah. which is a nice way to be doing it. Oh, my God. Better so than to be trying to. Yeah. 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 And you've, it's been like, well, that was, it was like a year ago or something, roughly. So it's been sort of this showing it periodically and yeah. the wind-up, the long wind-up. Yeah, a very, very long wind-up. We were just talking about that wind-up because it just goes on and on and on. I'm a, I am like have so much anxiety about this process, and every time you know, reviews come out and your film comes out, and at least with studio films, they just rip it off, and it's all over. Yeah. Like, you kind of know where you stand. But this slow release, like, I think every week we go to a new city, and it's just incredibly scary for me it continues to roll out yes, now for yes. the next several yeah yeah weeks or months or which something. is great about sony classics because they really um they keep your movie in theaters yeah which is cool they do like an actual old school yeah. rolling small movie release that gives it a nice beginning of its life mm -hmm. it's great and then so from here do you does your work continue with it or does it um or are you sort of are you still on the promotion thing for a little while? No, we're you know we did all of our press and um, yeah now we're just kind of sitting back and hoping people like the movie. So. And how does it feel to have it out there at the end of a thing like this, given this sort of incredibly personal movie? You know, I think it's it's like having a journal entry up there in the world for the world to read. You know, I think 
I think this the really scary thing is people come to me after that know me very well and are like, that film was so you, that felt like you, which is something I think on, on Endless Love I had felt my voice kind of disappearing as an artist. You know, it was just getting, I, 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 by the time I was finished with Endless Love, I didn't even know, I, I would watch a scene and I wouldn't know if it worked or not anymore. I would kind of just, it was the strangest, most horrible feeling for an artist to not know, to not see or hear your voice anymore. And with this film, I just felt like, okay, I, I'm hearing my voice again in this, and that feels incredible. And, um, yeah, so as scary as that is to put something out like that, like that out in the world, it's also really gratifying. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, it completely comes through. It's just such a, uh, it's a fantastic execution of exactly that thing, and it does sound like you, and it feels like you, and I feel like you've just done a great thing here. So oh, congratulations you, on it. Thank you, Jake. All right, Chana Festi, yes. folks. Yes. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, you can find past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share, and leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally. 